Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, I've got Brian on the phone with me, and on this week's episode we're going to be talking about the 2022 horror film Black Phone, directed by Scott Derrickson, written by Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill, and starring Mason Thames, Madeline McGraw, Jeremy Davies, and Ethan Hawke. In this film, a young boy is kidnapped and held captive by an abductor known as the Grabber and receives some assistance through a disconnected phone in the room. If you're new to the show, Brian and I are going to have a spoiler-free discussion up front. We'll talk about the background of the film, and then we'll take a quick break and dive into the plot, the spoilers, and our review of the film. Uh, Brian, this is the second film we're watching back-to-back about people being stuck in a room. Uh, what was Oh, yeah. Saw. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> we just did Saw. Yeah. Uh, I think, what do you think? Like, these films kind of just play on, like, people's sense of claustrophobia or being kidnapped or abducted? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, they both are much bigger movies than just being stuck in a room. You know, they, that's the core of them, somebody stuck in a room, but they expand the world from there. Yeah, yeah, they do, like, more with that premise. Yeah. Sure. Uh, the black phone, by the way. I think oh, you just thanks. said black phone. <laughs> I did. I don't have the black honey. But as I said it, I kind of paused. I couldn't remember if it was the black phone <laughs> or just black phone. Um, but yeah, this this movie wasn't on my radar at all. I, I feel like it came out of nowhere. Where, how did you know about this one? I had just heard about it early on in the year. It's something to keep an eye out for. And uh, I had heard that Ethan Hawke was in it. I didn't know that much about it. I just kept the release date on my calendar and and now here it is and they started marketing it pretty heavily oh okay cool yeah did I you mean, not see a, a preview for it at all no i didn't which yeah i'm surprised about uh and also really? like the, yeah and obviously you didn't right because you don't watch previews well they were coming at me hard like one night my wife and i were just watching random youtube videos and every single one of them started with a black phone preview oh man that must have been torture for you <laughs> yeah i mean she was pissed because she hates scary things and i was pissed because i never want to watch the trailers for horror movies so we were both yeah. pretty angry at this trailer yeah yeah i would be too um i still haven't seen it but i imagine you've seen it now uh you know what no i meant to watch it but okay. I, I closed my eyes and, and kind of made noise so i couldn't hear it so i, I managed to kind of avoid it like a psychopath Cool. Oh, I also realized recently in the theater, if I bring a hooded sweatshirt, cover my head with the hood, and then rub my ears with my thumbs vigorously, <laughs> <laughs> it creates such a, a racket right up next to my ears that I can't hear the previews either. Dude, if I saw you doing that in a theater, I would like run out of that theater. <laughs> it's like I, no I mean, way. people are either going to like leave or <laughs> yeah, call 911. Exactly. That is not a safe situation at all. <laughs> 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 oh, I, I, I happened upon that trick during the previews for the black phone or yeah. before the black phone and I was like I don't even care how I look anymore <laughs> so you just go into your sweatshirt and rub your ears through the, the hoodie yep wow crazy uh, yeah you should be careful about that man I feel like that's gonna give some <laughs> I'm, I'm leaning into it right, I'll get cool. some extra space in the theater <laughs> yeah yeah make it a thing <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, I, I thought this was a really fun movie to go blind into. I'm kind of glad uh, I didn't see anything. I, I haven't seen the trailers, but I, I imagine that would uh, spell a lot of it out, uh, given, like, the plot is pretty simple, right? Yeah, I mean, some people, I know somebody on our Facebook page said they wish they hadn't seen the trailer before they went into it, so I'm glad I didn't really pay attention to it. Same, same. 
Uh, and yeah, as you mentioned, like Ethan Hawke was a big draw here. Uh, the bigger name to me was this guy, uh, Scott Derrickson uh, from Sinister, which I think we both liked years ago. We did both enjoy that movie. We reviewed it on the podcast. Right. Yeah. So cool. Cool to see him back. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, it's so it's it looks like he was doing the new Doctor Strange, but then he got pulled off and I couldn't tell why something to do with creative differences. Uh, yeah, the official happened? reason was creative differences between him and, and Marvel, and that he said that that is the truth, but he can't get into the specifics of, of what went on there. Oh, okay. But yeah, he did Doctor Strange 2016. Right, yeah. So cool to see him back in horror. But even that new Doctor Strange is like supposedly kind of horrorish, so I'm surprised even without him it still went that way with Sam Raimi. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that was the the goal from that one from the get go is to make that kind of a horror movie. So yeah, cool. Yeah, I've heard varying things about that movie. Like, whoa, this is a straight up horror movie, and other people are like, nah. Oh, so, so uh, I probably I'll, won't really ever get around to seeing it. Maybe one day. Really? I, you know, I was talking to someone this weekend at a barbecue, and they mentioned it's very similar to like Evil Dead vibes. So I, I thought you actually might enjoy it. Yeah, I, yeah, I might check it out one day for that reason. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sam Raimi's cool. Um, Scott Derrickson also did The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which I've always wanted to see, but I still have not gotten around to that. Have you ever seen that one? No, I get the sense it's a shitty movie, but it's got some really scary scenes. That's what's your interpret? What's your impression of it? Okay, I know nothing about it. Um, maybe I've heard similar things. Now that kind of rings a bell now that you mentioned that. Yeah, that's a yeah. I, I like no one's like ever recommended that film, but I feel like I've seen it on lists of scary scenes or something which Scott Derrickson I mean in Sinister he had like some scenes that really stick with you oh yeah for sure yeah he's pretty good about that um but yeah and then uh, I thought really interesting too that this was based on a short story written by a guy named Joe Hill who this blew me away is the son of Stephen King did you know that correct yep yeah 2004 short story by Joe Hill Stephen King's son how does Stephen King have a 50 year old son already I, I, I thought Stephen King's like in his 50s or 60s (laughs) <laughs> no, he's he's getting up there. Damn, yeah. Uh, did you know about this guy before this film? Like, I, I didn't even know he had a kid who was a, a writer. Yeah, I did know about him, and him and Stephen King co-wrote um, In the Tall Grass, which oh. they turned into a movie with um, that guy Patrick something who's in the Conjuring movies. Patrick Wilson, yeah. Yeah, so I think maybe that is when I Joe Hill first came into my my mind that like I realized who he was or that he even existed. So I knew about that, but I had no idea that this was based on a short story by him until I started researching this. Oh, okay, cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think, you know, as we go through the plot and stuff, uh, I mean like when, when I watched this, I definitely felt like some King vibe. So really interesting to see that there's actually a King attached to this. For sure. Yeah. Um, and then the writer also has worked with Scott Derrickson in the past uh, on Sinister and Sinister 2 as well. Um, yep. Your, your two main actors here, uh, Mason Thames and Madeline McGraw. McGraw, yeah. Um, they're new to me. Have you seen them around before? They're new to me as well. I think Madeline McGraw has the biggest filmography. She's done voice work in things like Cars 3 and Toy Story 4. Oh. She was also in Ant-Man and the Wasp and Pacific Rim Uprising, and she's only 13, so yeah, she's been involved in some big movies already, and I think, um, I don't think that um, Mason Thames had really had any films to his name when he was cast for this. Oh, so this might be his first film, huh? 
I think so. I, in his IMDb might read different, but in an interview with Scott Derrickson, he said that he didn't have any other films under his belt at that point in time. Cool. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I think yeah. his background is like in ballet or something. Uh, so yeah, just seems like a talented dude, young kid. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, oh, hey, one uh, last thing on Joe Hill. Uh, I guess he was in that 1982 movie Creep Show. Did you, did you see him in that? Oh yeah, he was he was the main kid. That's right. He oh, was the okay. kid in the wraparound story. Oh, that's him. Okay. Oh, that's cool. All right. So yeah, and then obviously Ethan Hawke. Uh, any any other big actors or people you recognize here? Um, Jeremy Davies, who plays the dad, was in Twister, Saving Private Ryan, the Hannibal TV series. He was in a recent horror movie that somebody requested we do, which we'll have to tackle at some point: The House That Jack Built. Hmm. Yeah, I remember um, that one. I don't recognize his face, but he's he's been in some big movies. And yeah. then um, the Grabber's brother Max. was a familiar face to me. Did yeah. you recognize him? Uh, I guess he was in Sinister, right? As like uh, one like that funny cop. Yeah, he was the comic relief role in Sinister as well. Uh, his name's yeah. James Ranson. So he I also was in The Wire, and he played Adult Eddie in It Chapter Two. Oh, cool! That's awesome. Yeah, yeah uh, cool. They, they brought his character, or like, yeah, his, his, that actor back. His, yeah, I mean, it almost is like they brought that character back. Very different, different character, but yeah, serves a similar role in the script in a way. Yeah, the comic relief. Nice it's like have. an out of place comic relief in a movie that you wouldn't expect to have comic relief. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Given the topic here. Uh, yes. Well, actually, uh, on genre, like, what, what would you assign to this one? Is it supernatural or um, police drama? What, what do you think? Yeah, I'd call it a supernatural thriller. Okay. It, yeah. It plays out like a thriller film, like almost police procedural, but I'd put it in thriller as as in terms of the plot beats and stuff, but it's clearly supernatural as well. Yeah, has supernatural elements, but yeah, definitely thriller. Um cool. And then it's a Blumhouse production which uh that kind of surprised me given like the story and we can talk about that in the review I guess um the the, the mu- music uh was done by the guy Mark Corvin who did the witch cube lighthouse you recognize his work at all yeah I you know I didn't realize it was him when I heard it but I, I thought it was a pretty awesome score um yeah and I, I think we mentioned this in the witch episode and maybe the lighthouse episode too but Mark Corvin invented a new musical instrument called the apprehension engine which is Oh. Intended to make unsettling sounds to score horror movies. Wow! Oh yeah, that was and this I guy. can never find whether or not he uses it like <laughs> in these scores. So I don't know if it's just something he created and is trying to like get out there on the market, yeah. or if he's actually using it to make this music. And yeah, I think that information would be more readily available. Although I was kind of rushing my research here, so somebody listening might just google did mark corvin use the apprehension <laughs> engine to score the black phone and they'll find that answer and think i'm an idiot so yeah i'm definitely gonna look that up that's such an awesome name for an instrument the apprehension engine. yeah right <laughs> that's awesome yeah uh, <laughs> i got some things in life i'd call that uh what uh oh su- financial success wise this is uh doing pretty well i had a budget of 16 to 18 million box office so far of 77 million it's been out for like two weeks probably um, Rotten Tomato score of eighty three percent, sixty five percent on Metacritic. You went to the theater on Saturday. Was it was still pretty full? Yeah, it was still pretty full. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I went on, on July fourth night, assuming everyone would be watching fireworks, but there was still like uh, I don't know about a quarter of the theater there. So yeah, people are coming out for this nice. one. 
People are coming out for it, and Joe Hill pitched Scott Derrickson an idea for a sequel if this were to be successful. So I wouldn't oh, be surprised if we might see a sequel someday coming yeah. down the road for this. Yeah, cool. That's exciting. Uh, yeah. Well, any other background you want to cover? Um, edited by Frederick Thoraval, who also edited Sinister, which I think um, is pertinent just because of certain elements of this movie. Okay. Um, Frederick edited Promising Young Young Woman as well. Oh, cool. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think what else. Other Joe Hill adaptations. Uh, Creepshow episodes have adapted his work. The uh, NOS4A2 TV series. I don't know how it's pronounced. The NOS4A2 TV series. Oh, is that just like Have Nosferatu? you heard of that? No, I haven't. I, yeah, you know, I always saw it written and never realized until I put it down on paper right for this episode that I was like, oh, Nosferatu. <laughs> but you think it's pronounced differently? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how it's pronounced. All right. But yeah, Lock and Key and In the Tall Grass, all, all adaptations of his work, so yeah. this isn't the first time his work has been adapted. Lock and uh, Key is kind of a big one on Netflix, isn't it? I think so. I, th- I think it's popular, but I know nothing about it. Okay, yeah, me neither. Yeah, I'm surprised to see that one. Um, what else did I want to say about this movie? Oh, a Collider article compares the Grabber's appearance to Lon Chaney in a movie called London After Midnight from 1927, I believe. Mm, Yeah, I think I saw that Um, photo. Yeah, yeah, and I think that there's been a lot of horror movie characters over the years that have kind of been compared to him. So like the Babadook in there? The Babadook gets a lot of comparisons to Lon Chaney in, in that movie, so. Okay. I think we might have to talk about hats at some point during this review. Wait, did this guy wear a hat? Oh, he had a yeah, hat. He did have a hat. Yeah. Oh, wow. Not all the time, but, yeah, but some of the time. Things. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I was just so like uh, taken by the mask that I didn't notice that. That's interesting. Speaking of the mask, that's designed, co-designed by Tom Savini and one other dude. Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a highly publicized fact about this movie, but pretty yeah. cool. I know, I know. I didn't see his name attached to this anyway. That's, that's so cool. He's still involved. Yeah, he's also got a special effects supervisor credit on the film. So. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, I don't know why his name isn't more front and center. Seriously, um, yeah. And then I'll also spin um, more Scott Derrickson history into a plug for our Patreon. We do have a Patreon, listeners. If you go to horrormovieclub.com and click the orange button, you will find our Patreon site. And for a dollar a month, you can access some bonus content. I recently put out part one of my journey through the entire Hellraiser franchise. I'm just doing some quick spoiler-free reviews of all of those films, and I broke it in half right after the fourth movie. And I've yet to record part two, but part two will begin with the fifth chapter in the Hellraiser franchise called Hellraiser Inferno from the year 2000, Scott Derrickson's first feature film. Oh, wow. Good for him. Yeah, uh, good for him. I think that really got him started. Yeah, yeah. Damn, I didn't realize he was in the Hellraiser universe. Uh, yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed your Hellraiser uh, rant much better than the... I've only seen the first movie and I hated it, so uh, I, I really, I was surprised how much I enjoyed your uh, your episode on that one. Oh, thanks, man. It's really good. Uh, yeah, any other background before we hit the Ohio Connection? That's all I had. Let's hear the Ohio Connection. All right, as usual, our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio, connects every 
episode to our home state of Ohio for us. If you're in the Northeast Ohio area, be sure to swing by Jukebox for some drinks and some food. And Alex says The Black Phone is a supernatural horror film directed by Scott Derrickson about an abducted teenager who uses a mysterious telephone to communicate with the previous victims of his captor, played by Ethan Hawke. Hawke has been a Hollywood mainstay since the late 1980s, best known for his roles in Training Day, Reality Bites, Boyhood, and Dead Poets Society, among countless others. In 2013, Hawke starred in a film titled Getaway about a washed-up race car driver. In preparation for the film, Hawke took part in a condensed Acura three-day high-performance training program at the Mid-Ohio School located in Lexington, Ohio. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Right? Yeah. Dude, fun fact... I did not realize that the young woman who plays Robin in Stranger Things is Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman's daughter. No. Really? Yeah. Yep. You can kind of see it. Yeah. Now that you say that, that makes a lot of sense. Robin's the one that uh, works at the video store, right? Or the ice cream parlor? Yeah. She she worked with Steve at Scoops Ahoy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow. That's Uma Thurman. Oh, my God. Huh. Kind of mind-blowing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's that's kind of crazy. Um, yeah. Random. Yeah, I was just about to mention that uh, he used to be married to Uma Thurman. Uh, I didn't realize they had a kid who's now an actor. Uh, hey, did you see the last se- season of Stranger Things that, ju- that just came out over the weekend? No, no. I My wife is very scared by this season, so we have to unwind with a sitcom afterwards, <laughs> usually a Seinfeld. And yeah. since these are like longer jumbo episodes, it's like an hour and 45 minute affair to like watch one and decompress with a sitcom so we're going real slow yeah i can't believe how long they made these episodes like each one's like an hour plus the last episode i think is like two hours and 20 minutes it's just insane. i know it's wild have you yeah. seen it all yeah i finished it all weekend and the only thing that got me through it is i thought it would finally like the whole thing would be over but i guess there's a season five coming out yeah so i'm kind of pissed about that more coming i don't yeah. know if i can drag my wife through more she i <laughs> underestimate how scared she gets it's wild well, yeah, I feel like this season definitely leaned far more into horror than the others have, right? It amps it up quite a bit, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like this one's less sci-fi and more horror compared to the other ones. Mm-hmm. It's good, though. Uh, well, cool. All right. Well, uh, yeah, great great fact about uh, Ethan Hawke's daughter. Um, anything else, or do you want to jump to the plot review? Let's jump to the review. All right, cool. Hey, before we do, though, I'm getting a call. Do you mind if uh, I take a quick break and I'll give you a call back? Sure, yeah. Go ahead. Cool. All right. Thanks. I'll be right back. Hey, Brian. Sorry about that. I'm back. Hey, everything go okay with that call? Uh, yeah, it was okay. You know, it's really weird. I have this old phone that uh, I uh, disconnected like years ago. Or, like I don't have service on it anymore. But every now and then, it, again, it, it kind of rings. And I would never pick it up. Some punk preteen uh, is uh, giving me a lecture on how I got to stop being a, a wuss and learn how to fight. Uh, do you get calls like this ever? <laughs> <laughs> I've never had that call. Oh man, it's it's rough. He really bites into me. It, it hurts my feelings. He really bit. really cuts you down to size. <laughs> yeah, I really feel like less of an adult every time I get those calls. <laughs> it's like, good. Sh- we should write a, 
a story called The Black Phone that's just a really sad midlife crisis for you. A guy just getting calls and being like bullied by kids. It's just like his, his, a version of his younger self disappointed yeah, exactly. with his old older self. <laughs> You're so mediocre. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that, I, I could totally uh, write the script for that. That'd be good. <laughs> Got a lot to say there. All right. So we'll jump into the plot here, and we'll hit some spoilers as we go and review it. So this film kicks off with what I just learned is one of Brian's new hobbies, uh, a baseball game. Uh, we're introduced to Finney, who is a young kid. We're in like 1970s Denver, and he's playing baseball. He's pitching, and there's some heartwarming scenes as he nearly strikes out this batter, but the batter ultimately ends up hitting a home run. But then after the game, the batter, uh, whose name is Bruce, compliments Finney on his pitching. So really, like, good vibes here. And then there's a girl that you can tell Finney kind of has a crush on in the audience. But then as Bruce is biking home and, like, there's this great song playing and people are waving to him, suddenly an ominous black van pulls out in front of nowhere. And we suddenly jump into the opening credits, which is, like, all these uh, spliced scenes of uh, newspaper clippings of kids getting uh, tortured and going missing, uh, and so we get the sense that something pretty scary is happening here. Uh, what did you think of this opening? I really enjoyed it. I, I felt that I connected immediately to the characters, and you can tell that the movie has heart. And then the credits really brought me back to Sinister, kind of like those Super 8 videos that he found in Sinister were very reminiscent, or the credits here were very reminiscent of those tapes. Mm. Um, and the score was kind of rep- reminiscent of the Sinister score. Oh, which totally. is not done by um, Mark, what's his face, Mark Corvin, but uh, yeah. just similar, like, abrasive sounds, and I I was into it. I was I was pumped for the movie once the credits started rolling. Me too, man. I thought I was in the wrong movie for a minute, and then, yeah, that, that came in. It kind of, like, comes out of nowhere, uh, given, like, the opening vibes. Um, right, yeah. But I, I agree, like, the opening is so great in making, like, like the characters immediately and feel kind of grounded in them and then this just kind of takes you by surprise and yeah very sinister vibes like what would you say like in the editing or something of how it's like pieced yeah together? The, uh, yeah the editor um frederick something frederick thoraval also did sinister so yeah cool cool so now we know we're in the right movie um so then the movie follows finney who has this younger sister named gwen and they're pretty close the two of them live with their father who is this abusive alcoholic dude uh, and we learn that Phil, Finney uh, has an issue at school where he gets bullied uh, quite a bit. He has a friend who like tells him that he's got to learn how to fight back. Uh, we also find out that in the background here, there's been a child. There's been some child abductions going on, and there's someone known as the Grabber that's been going around kidnapping kids. And um, I kind of I couldn't get the sense here if like this was actually happening or if it was like a myth because uh, Gwen's like kind of asking Finney to say his name, and Finney wouldn't even say his name. So, like, what do you think the awareness is in the town right now about the Grabber? Is it, like, folklore or, like, a myth, or is it, like, the police are actually, like, following a case here? I mean, I think it's definitely happening. Kids are going missing, but I think there is mystery about who is doing it and why and probably some folklore built up around, quote-unquote, the Grabber. Cool. Yeah, kind of like the Boogeyman type thing. Yeah. It's also... Interesting that this takes place in 1978 because that was like the era of famous serial killers in America. Oh, like the Ted Bundys and stuff? Yeah. So this was the year John Wayne Gacy was arrested. 
the year Ted Bundy was apprehended for the final time, he escaped once, and the year of Jeffrey Dahmer's first known murder. Oh, wow. So they're all kind of bleeding together here in this year of 1978. Damn. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, okay, that kind of makes sense why they picked this time then. Um, okay, cool. So uh, we also find out that Gwen has this... Um, ability to have dreams that represent real life events and she inherited that from her mother who is no longer with them and it's something that her father really warns her not to share but she slips up when she accidentally reveals a clue to someone about uh, something that happened at a crime scene like there being black balloons there and when the cops hear about this they figure that she is able to she's got like yeah somehow she knows like evidence of or like things that are kind of uh, being kept from the public and she might have some kind of ability there and that really upsets her father. Uh, what'd you think of the setup and the characters and Gwen? Uh, what'd you think of all the dynamics going on here? I was pretty like on board with all of it. I thought the child actors were giving great performances and they did a good job developing these characters and making you feel at home and engaged in the relationship between Finney and Gwen as brother and sister. Yeah. Uh, I was on board. I, I liked yeah. it. Same, same. And you, you know, the supernatural element, like she can, you know, her dreams predict the future. I don't even like blanket that kind of stuff anymore. Like the more horror movies we watched and how much you see Stephen King's influence on things and knowing that this is, you know, his own flesh and blood who wrote the story, you know, Carrie, Firestarter, like it's not uncommon to have some supernatural abilities mixed in with the, uh, even, um, Dr. Sleep, you know, like borderline fantasy elements mixed in with the horror. So totally. Yeah. Yeah. We're used I, to this. I'm cool. I'm on board with that. Yeah, me too. Me too. I think you're right. We've seen this. It feels really familiar, like a uh, 70s, 80s timeline. You got the bullies in, at school. Um, you have some kind of kid with supernatural power. So it, it does feel very Kingish. Uh, so I'm not surprised that, yeah, it's his son. I, I thought Gwen was kind of sealing the show here, though, like, with some of her performances, like when she shits talk or trash talks to the cops and like uh, the whole scene, like where she's getting beaten by her father and like crying to him. Like uh, I, I really felt for her. I, th I thought that performance was amazing. I agree. Scott Derrickson, like, he's very ride or die with her. Like, he, like, found her in, through the casting and was like, this is, I have to have her. And there was a scheduling conflict. And he convinced um, Jason Blum to postpone shooting by, like, some crazy amount of time. I feel like it was, like, six months or something just so they could get this girl. So they can wow. get Madeline McGraw to play Gwen. Yeah. Oh, um, wow. That makes a lot of sense seeing her performance. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't know for sure, but the, I know that the release of the film was postponed and I have to wonder if it was just because Derrickson was like, no, I have to wait for her. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. Well, it shows like, yeah, she really brings a lot to the game here. I, I agree. Um, so one day while walking home from school, Finney gets abducted by the grabber who is played by Ethan Hawke wearing this pretty creepy mask. He imprisons Finney in a soundproof basement and tells him, he tells him he's not going to hurt him. Uh, I, I guess as an audience, we kind of know better, but I kind of believed it for a minute. Uh, in the room, there's a black phone that is disconnected and the grabber tells Finney he's only heard the phone ring once and he assumes it was just because of some static in the air, but that Finney shouldn't really count any, like, yeah, that basically it's, it's a dead phone. So, you know, don't try to do anything because it's, it's worthless. Uh, what'd you think about the grabber and Ethan Hawke here? I thought it was a very 
subtle. It was like simultaneously subtle and out there as a performance. I thought it was really working. What did you think? Yeah, I, I felt so too. I, I thought he, he brought a lot. Uh, he was like, yeah, kind of, yeah, it was like a mix of like so many different uh, performance like characteristics, like kind of like endearing, but like really creepy. And then, uh, yeah, kind of uh, uh, maniacal. It was, it was like a mix of like a bunch of things it was bringing all at once. And I thought the mask like really augmented whatever he was hiding behind there. So, uh, yeah, I was, I was creeped out. But what, what did you think of the mask? I, I like the mask. I also like how it can change. Like the top, it's two yeah. pieces, a top and a bottom. So he'll like switch out the bottom with different expressions. It's really, really yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, like sometimes um, it's it's the grin and sometimes it's just like a like no teeth, right? Right. Yeah, or like a frowning face. It's it's creepy. It is, yeah. Yeah. Um It's so, hard to um I don't know. I feel like Heath Ledger's The Joker his portrayal as the Joker like looms large over all villain performances oh, yeah. from now on. I don't know whether it's real or just all perceived in my head, but it's hard not yeah. to compare any really <laughs> out there villain to his Joker. Yeah, he's um, the villain of all villains. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just the way uh, Ethan Hawke was kind of like going kind of higher pitched with his voice and getting a little cartoony with it every now and again. But it also wasn't such that I'm like, oh, he's just doing the Joker. Like, it was nuanced enough. And and like you said, where you're like, I don't know, maybe he's really not going to hurt him. And <laughs> he does seem to like him. That's like yeah, standard serial killer stuff where they make their <laughs> victims feel that way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, to be bought in as the viewer, too, I think says something about the performance. Yeah, yeah, great performance. I, I thought a lot of, um, I, I kind of wondered if they're going for like a Buffalo Bill type vibe, but... Um, maybe he, Buffalo Bill like veered more like straight up disturbing versus, yeah, the, the grabber is like kind of hitting on these all these other elements as well. Yeah, right, I think notes. the biggest parallel, for, like John Wayne Gacy is the easiest parallel for the grabber. He's, okay. You find out all the other kids he's taken are boys. Um, that was Gacy's MO. Hmm. And the grabber is a magician, or at least that's his front. He drives around in a, a van as a magician and John yeah. Gacy performed as a clown. So it's it seems like that's what they're if they're not straight up going for that, it's it's pretty pretty clear parallel you can draw. Mm, cool. Yeah, I don't know anything about Gacy. Was where was he? Chicago. Ah, oh, damn. Okay. Or at least somewhere in Illinois. Everything I know about him, I know from a Sufjan song on. (laughs) That's what I was going to say, too. That's the only time I've seen that guy's name. (laughs) Is that Illinois album? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's funny. Um, All right. Well, so yeah, you got Finney. He's stuck in this basement. There's a a toilet. There's a phone that's disconnected and it's black. Um, So yeah, not not a great place to be. Um, One night, though, the phone rings. And like at first, he's kind of imagining it ringing every now and then. He picks it up and there's no one there, just some static noise. But one time he picks it up and he realizes this voice starts talking to him and he realizes it's the ghost of that kid, Bruce, that we saw at the first uh, scene at the baseball game. And uh, Bruce doesn't remember his name because he's dead now, but um, he just has like some vague memories. But he tells Finney about a hole that he had been digging in the basement and encourages Finney to go find that hole and keep digging it up to escape. And then the next day, Finney gets a call from another one of the dead children uh, who warns Finney that the grabber is trying to trick Finney into running upstairs and he's actually up there waiting to beat Finney and we see a scene of 
they grab her with shirt off, sitting by the door with a leather belt, which was kind of a spooky scene. Uh, he also gives Finney instructions on how to find a cord that Finney can use to climb out the window, but Finney uh, ends up breaking the window grate and isn't able to use that. And then another ghost child tells Finney that the combination of the front door to help him escape, uh, but we get a really tense sequence of Finney escaping while the grabber is sleeping, but uh, he makes it out into the front yard, but the grabber kind of wakes up and chases him out there and tackles him and threatens to kill him and drags him back in. What do you think of all these calls, the ghost uh, conversations, the visions that we see of these dead, dead children, the grabber? How do you think of all this? One could say it was a little silly to be getting these phone calls from the dead kids who were giving him clues about things that they did to try to escape that maybe he could use in his own escape. But I actually, you know, I was so bought into the characters in the story itself that I was ready. Like the script did a good enough job keeping me on board through all of it that I was ready to accept this jump and we have some supernatural hints in the family already so i'm ready to accept that finney can hear these voices they also were really and i th- i think i saw some complaints about this on our server they weren't very easy on the scares especially like via the supernatural element like there is the initial jump scare where you first realize you're going to see some of these kids where all of a sudden one of the kids is standing behind him. Yeah, all Um, bloodied up and everything. Yeah, yep. And it got me. Did it get you? Yeah, yeah. Those kind of scenes, like, that reminded me of, like, Sinister, where, like, uh, the camera just pans and there's, like, someone not where you're expecting them to be. Right. Yeah, And there's only, like, one or two jump scares in the whole movie, so you're not really expecting them, which I think makes makes them even more effective. Yeah, right, right. Um... When you say, uh, were you just saying something about how um, the scares, uh, what were you saying? Were they, were they held back a bit? I think so. I mean, it's not a supernaturally scary movie except for a couple of scenes. They let most of the scares come from the grabber and the tension right. between Finney and the grabber and his attempted escapes, right? Totally, Yeah. Yeah, that part kind of threw me for a loop is because you have these ghosts there and they're like presented in a scary way. But then, yeah, these ghosts are there to like help him. They're not like scary ghosts. Uh, so they might as well like be Casper or something, right? Right. Yeah. So they're they're a bit grisly and they appear in some gory scenes, but they they themselves aren't scary except for a jump scare or two. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, I, mean, I, I enjoyed the jump scare aspect of it. And then, yeah, similar to you, I think I was bought into it because like these kids... Um, like the whole idea like that they wouldn't remember their names or like that much of like real life or anything like their memories are vague. I, I thought like that was kind of like a nice little nuance that like, oh yeah, if you died, maybe you wouldn't remember what your name was. Yeah. It was almost like they were in some other place. Like, yeah. Like on the other side, did you notice there was a horizontal line on the wall of this lair where Finney was locked that was very reminiscent of the like horizontal line of blood on the sinister poster? Oh, no. Was it, like, it was towards like the floor? In the conclusion of Sinister? No, I don't, I don't, I don't think I, that caught me. Was it, like, towards, like, the ground, like, where he finds the cord? No, it's, like, uh, you know, like, maybe waist-to-shoulder height for a kid Finney's age. Okay. okay. I think it, I thought of it as a, as a nod to Sinister, but it could have yeah. been coincidence. In, like, the set design? Yeah. Okay, interesting. Hey, uh, throughout the film... And like these really scary parts, did you hear like a 
<laughs> Did you hear like a hey, 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 hey kind of thing going on? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't tell if I was like Toy Story next door or something. Or Did you hear something? That that sounds a little bit like Tim Allen. <laughs> yeah, man, are you serious? That wasn't from this movie? I didn't hear that. Oh, okay. I thought it was like really buried like deep in the soundtrack. And it was like really, it would come out that like really creepy parts where like it's like really dark music or like this is scary. And then you like this, hey, 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 in the background. And it's kind of like clownish. And I was like, oh man, that's that's creepy. But yeah, it must have been the theater next door. Um, Interesting. It's possible that it was there. I don't know. I was trying to Google it, Tim. I didn't even know what to Google. Like, hey, 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 in the, in <laughs> the black phone. <laughs> or was it, ha, ha. Exactly. (laughs) Does Tim Allen even still do Buzz Lightyear? I assume he does. Oh, I don't know. Because who's Buzz Lightyear? Isn't that uh, the other dude? Wait a minute. I'm I'm thinking Toy Story is in theaters because I just read um, that she did a voice in Toy Story 4. What is the big... Wasn't there some sort of animated movie out this week? Yeah, I think it is Buzz Lightyear's in theaters, right? No, is it? Uh, Yeah, there was a new Buzz Lightyear that just came out... uh, so I imagine it's still playing in theaters. How, on a scale of one to ten, how stupid do you think we sound right now? <laughs> um, well, I mean, relative to how normally stupid we sound, or just like <laughs> right, completely right. just a small, <laughs> small variation in our n- yeah. normal stupidity. I'd say we're trending like fifty percent over how stupid we usually are. <laughs> <laughs> sort of All right, let's get back on track. <laughs> All right, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure there's a light year movie out there. Um, where were we? Uh, oh, yeah, dead kids, talking to dead kids, seeing dead kids. Okay, meanwhile, uh, Gwen, Finney's younger sister, she's having these dreams and visions of the grabber and this house where Finney's being kept. And she's opens up to her dad, which I think is really hard because we saw her dad beat her up earlier in the film. And eventually she tells the police and they begin to kind of narrow down on this house. Meanwhile, Finney gets a call from uh, a ghost of one of his friends who was abducted earlier in the film. And he tells Finney that Finney's got to learn how to fight and like um, take his advice and uh, kind of teaches him like how to punch and tells him to take the phone and pack it up with some dirt and how to swing and punch. So when the grabber comes down to ultimately kill Finney, because he had broken out the day before or whatever, Finney is able to trip the grabber with the core to make him fall into that tunnel that the one dude had started to build out, one, one of the kids. Then he uses the phone to punch and strangle the grabber. And as the grabber is dying, uh, Finney puts the phone up to his ear and the grabber hears the voices of the dead children on the phone receiver. Which, oh, two questions I, I forgot to ask you a little bit before, but one, why is it that Finney can hear the ghosts and no one else can? And two, why is it the grabber did hear the phone ring once but has never really heard it ring again. Any any theories? Well, I think that my theory is that the grabber has the same ability as Finny and Gwen, but isn't very in touch with it. So oh. presumably he can hear the kids on the phone at the end as he's being murdered, like the kids are taunting him. Yeah, right. And he also, I mean, he heard the phone once, so he has some ability there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I almost wondered if that, if that like, could be incorporated into a theme of the movie. But maybe we'll touch more on that once we get through the plot here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That almost kind of sounds like uh, like something out of uh, The Shining or Doctor Sleep, where like, yeah, you have people with like a similar skill set or sure. the supernatural powers. Okay. 
so yeah, now the Garver's dead. Uh, Gwen and the police show up to the house uh, where they believe the grabber lives, but it turns out to be the place where he just buries all the dead bodies of the children. But as she's waiting outside of that house, she sees Finney emerge from the house across the street, and we learn that the grabber owned both of those houses and would torture and keep kids in one of the houses and then bury them across the street. Uh, the family's reunited, and I think it ends in kind of a cheesy way where Finney goes back to class, and uh, everyone's kind of like looking up to him, like being like, oh, that's the kid. And the girl he likes, he's like, uh, oh, you can call me Finn instead of Finney or something. And I guess it's a sign that his he's built his confidence or something. Is that what you took it as? Yeah, I mean, nothing like surviving a serial killer and then killing him to build up your confidence as a young teen. <laughs> Is that how that works? <laughs> I mean, I wish it would have happened to me. Yeah, I know. I could use Damn. that boost. I know, seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would have been a whole different place today. Uh, that's crazy. Cause, uh, I, I mean, that, that part I think seems a little kind of crazy because you'd be so traumatized by the whole experience. You wouldn't suddenly come back on like top of the world, would you? With that swagger? No, yeah. probably not. But it's a movie and he was, I mean, that's the arc, you know, he was so bullied at the beginning. The bullying in this movie is intense. Kids are getting the shit kicked out of them. Oh my like, God. Yeah. <laughs> heads smashed in and stuff. Yeah. Um, so... And I think that's not uncommon in a Stephen King's work is, is bullying. And I think, I feel like I read something about Joel Hill experiencing bullying as well, but don't, don't quote me on that. Um, okay. I know Scott Derrickson said he had a rough childhood and he says even that there was violence in his household, um, and had some bullying in his youth. So I think that some of this could have been influenced by him. I, I would like to read the short story. I, I remember in, in the interview, there was an interview on post mortem with um, him and, and C. Cargo, C. Robert Cargill, where they talked about the short story really needing like a first act and a third act. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much of the bullying and the household violence was fleshed out by them or already yeah. existed in Joe Hill's short story. I'm not sure of that. But gotcha. Do you feel like there are definitely themes of bullying in here and, yeah. and family abuse? Do you feel like that's kind of becoming a trope with like all these movies, like it, uh, this one that take place in the seventies, Stranger Things, eighties, um, any like it almost feels like any story about kids in school. Uh, there's always like bullying, and it always like in these old ones like seems like way over the top in terms of like how the bullying is going on, like kids being hit with rocks and like bleeding, or like almost being killed by some uh, bully. Like just see, it seems like almost uh, like it's some kind of trope or something that all these films are hitting on, but. I don't know how many people, like, how realistic is that kind of bullying? Yeah, I mean, I think it is a trope. I think it's largely a Stephen King-generated trope. His influence looms large. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it was that big of a deal back then. I, I mm. imagine people weren't paying attention to to it as much or realizing how big of a problem it was. And yeah. I think bullying still exists now pretty badly. Sure. I don't know if it exists in the same ways. But yeah, the physical violence versus the something physical else. Physical violence is maybe manifest or turned into like social internet media. bullying and stuff <laughs> like that, social yeah. media bullying uh, yeah. and shaming and stuff. But yeah. I can't speak to that. I don't have any kids who are old enough to be bullied yet. I'm sure in yeah. a few years I can probably speak to it more. Unfortunately, but <laughs> you don't, you don't I don't know. I, it does seem exaggerated, but but who knows? 
You don't count like our reviews on social media as like us getting bullied. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> like, we're bullied. <laughs> our Twitter posts and stuff. Yeah, that, that's, that's been me, man. I've been the one kind of throwing that shade at you on Twitter. <laughs> that's that's the young you from the past. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> learn how to do a fucking podcast, man. <laughs> <laughs> and would it kill you to learn how to fight? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, um, no, that's true. Maybe violence, uh, that kind of violence bullying was more prevalent back then. I thought it was really cool. So at the beginning of the movie when he is almost going to strike out that kid, but then the kid hits a home run off of him, the kid's still like, hey, man, you pitched a great game, and he says your arm is mint. Yeah, yeah. And he mentions that again in the phone conversation with him, and then at the very end, as the kids are all talking to the grabber as Finney's about to kill him, it, that kid says Finney's arm is mint right as Finney, like, Oh, punches him. Tugs the cord to break the grabber's neck. I thought oh, that was sure. pretty badass. There, this movie is one of those movies that pulls at my emotional and heartstrings in mm. ways that I know it's doing it, and it seems <laughs> cheap, but it's working for me. Like yeah. how you talked about at the end. He walks into school all cocky and things are going well, when in reality he'd probably be traumatized. Yeah. I, this movie puts me in a place where I'm ready to be like, yeah, oh yeah, Finn's the <laughs> shit now. Go Finny. And yeah. I'm fine with it. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to have like such a feel-good moment at the end. And yeah, it doesn't feel like out of place with like the vibe of the film. There does seem to be kind of uh, like a hopefulness or optimisticness to the film about like kind of overcoming, uh, yeah, kids, kids kind of coming together, helping each other out, whether dead or alive, to overcome like this uh, predator. Right. Yeah, and I wondered if the theme a little bit might be how you deal with adversity. Like, does it make you stronger or do you let it make you weaker and take you down as a person? Like mm. the family all had these powers. The mom was having trouble dealing with it. She ended up killing herself because of it. And she, I think the dad spun it as the voices told her to do it, which may have been true. Um, but Gwen kind of uses her powers for good. And I'm sure they both had a tough childhood with their mother gone and their dad being an abusive alcoholic and they, they mentioned that about Finney, like just because you're not the one like fighting or beating kids up doesn't mean you're not strong. Like yeah, right. there's strength in enduring. So I kind of thought maybe the grabber having that power was a little bit of commentary on, you know, the grabber and their dad have both had this adversity that they let drag them down to become oh, yeah. horrible people. The grabber and especially horrible murderer and yeah. presumably molester and the dad dragging him down into alcoholism and abusing his own children. Sure. Whereas yeah, yeah. the kids, you know, are enduring and fighting and right. and letting it make them stronger even if they don't feel like it's making them stronger. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I was, I was wondering what the connection was because I, I feel like they were drawing a parallel between their dad and the grabber, especially like with the belt. Um, and uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense that those two are kind of like the opposing forces or the adversity that these kids are kind of facing off against. Uh, or like, yeah, that's a type of adversity and how like their bonds are kind of like helping them survive this stuff or, or fight through it. Right. Yeah, and of course at the end when they... They find Finney, both the kids are together, and the dad shows up on the police scene and, like, gets on his knees and begs for their forgiveness as he's crying. And that's another thing that, you know, maybe feels like a jump that where they're really pulling at the audience's heartstrings. But I was there for that, too. Like, 
Um, they made the dad, they did a good job showing him as nuanced, even though you're like, this dude is just a scuzz. Like, look at him, like, beating his kids and drinking. Yeah, but that's then, where he starts off. Yeah. Yeah, even before this final scene where he begs for their forgiveness, he's speaking in caring ways to both of them, especially Gwen. He's just like, you know, I just, I don't want what happened to your mother to happen to you. Like, he's clearly a broken man who does care about his kids. And he, you can tell he's remorseful about what he's done to Gwen immediately after it happens to an issue. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I like that uh, about him. Uh, they, yeah, you definitely feel a lot different of him at the end versus earlier in the film. And yeah, he, he kind of cleans up his act a bit and he's remorseful. I mean, hopefully that stays that way going forward. It's hard, hard to believe though, but yeah. Right, right. It's not to absolve him of like, oh, you know, he's a good guy overall, but yeah. he's a real human, you know? It's not, people aren't black and white. Right, right. Yeah. Except this maybe the grabber. A, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, oh, well, even the grabber, I think there's a vulnerability there. And I think it, a part of it's like Ethan Hawke's acting and like all the uh, characteristics he uh, had there. There's like a sensitivity to him a little bit. But I noticed like during the kill scene, or, like where he's being killed at the end, um, when Finney pulls his mask off for a second, like the grabber like freaks out, right? And it kind of like makes me think that, uh, yeah, there was like something really like kind of messed up there where like uh, he was very self-conscious about his face or what, did, did you notice that? That like he totally freaked out when his mask got pulled off? Yeah, right. More so than you would think if you're in the middle of a brawl. You wouldn't think, oh, now everyone's going to know who I am. You, he's <laughs> yeah. got a true self-consciousness about his face being yeah. revealed. So yeah, yeah. there's got to be some issues there. And then as the kids communicate to Finney, he only beats you up if you like play the game play like naughty child and he's beating you with a belt which kind of you know echoes the abuse that finney and gwen get from their dad so it makes you wonder if the grabber had yeah uh, a childhood where he was abused by his father or a parent or caregiver in some way and how that may have screwed him up so yeah yeah there's a lot you can read into it even though it's not spelled out for you or like spelled out yeah and i like that because like yeah you just see like little parts that you need to see and you can kind of like draw your own branch from it and, right. and and figure out like, yeah, there's something there that uh, we're not quite seeing, but like it, it makes sense. And uh, I, oh, it's an interesting thing too, just to think about like you can either let adversity like break you or make you better. I almost feel like you're shaming people who have let it broke them and some like, yeah, who have been broken by extreme adversity or trauma in some ways. Like, mm. And again, that's not black and white either. I don't always think it's one or the other. It's probably a little bit of both. Like, yeah, you're broken in many ways, but also stronger in many ways too. Yeah, that, that's one really interesting thing I think about. Like it in in this film, uh, it's interesting because yeah, you talk about bullying and like that's often looked at as like the the evil thing that's happening to some kids. But then like the, a lot of times, the way they overcome it is by like killing the bullier, like uh, bully the the bullier, like beating the bully up. So you're just seeing like reverse bully like beats bullying or something. Uh, it feels like a pro-bullying theme. Like, the only way to <laughs> get rid of bullying is by doing it back and being better at it. Well, I mean, Finney never enacted violence on other kids, only on the grabber, to save his own life, so... Yeah. And but, I don't even know... Well, I guess the kids in It did a little bit, but... Yeah, they took down the bullies, yeah, right? I, I don't know. Our, com- our, our relationship with violence as humans, is it's complicated. It is, yeah. 
to you overcome. turn the other cheek or do you fight back yeah yeah and, and which do we value more exactly exactly which works um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty nuanced there and, and kind of complex. But yeah, I feel like the the, the, the friendship between him and was it uh, Robin was his friend? Yeah, Robin. yeah, Robin was the kid who was pretty tough and like beat yeah. up the school bully. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this kind of felt like a thing where it's like, because um, he's like, Robin, like, why'd you have to beat up that kid? And he's like, sometimes you have to like do it to uh, make a statement or something. And right, so, right. Uh, as like misguided as that was, ultimately it's that advice that gets Finney out of the situation. So it makes me wonder, like, yeah, you're right. Like fighting back is like a, a form of like power. Um, but like, uh, I, but in this instance, like, yeah, when you're killing an adult who's been trying to kill you, then I think you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Uh, I think, I think we fade out now and cut to, uh, Ashen's first karate class tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> him and a bunch of small children. I know, just beating them up. Or they can probably be kicking my ass. Yeah, probably. I think they'll, they'll be yeah. kicking your ass. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, what did you think of this film? I really liked it. I liked it more than I expected to. And, yeah, no shame in me. If a film's got me by my heartstrings at the beginning, it's got to do a lot to lose me. Uh, and this movie did a lot of things right. I, I don't really see any glaring errors in it. I, I know some people think it could have gone scarier, but the supernatural elements weren't supposed to be the scary part. And it's scary enough him just walking up, trying to escape with the grabber there half asleep. So it really functions more as a thriller in, in terms of where the scares and the tension are coming from. And those Super 8 videos, you still see like when Gren, Gwen dreams. It's kind of visually the way the credits were, you know, very, um, frequent edits. It's almost just like a collection of images, very grainy home video. ish. Uh, Yeah. 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 It's got that, the videotapes from sinister aesthetic. Yeah. I was really happy to see them throw that vibe in. That was cool. Yeah. So between that and the jump scare you got once or twice and the tension with the grabber, I was satisfied scare wise. It's not the scariest movie I've ever seen, but it was enough. Uh, and I was totally on board with the plot. I was very on board with the kids. No, I will admit that I had tears in my eyes when she run ran up to Vinny at the end and gave oh, him a hug. Oh, God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the first time you've cried, like, in a horror film? No. Oh, man. No, no. I, I cry in movies a decent amount. Also, horror things movies, with kids. In, in horror movies? Sometimes. I mean, ever since the kids were born, too, just, I'm quicker to tear up. Especially, like stuff that happens between parents and kids or kids, brother and sister, especially now that I've got two. So, so yeah, that got me in the sweet spot and, um, I, I really liked it. I cool. loved it. That's great. What did right. you think? Glad to hear. Uh, yeah, man, I, I, I thought it was a great film and like really heartwarming. It, it just took me by surprise. Like I thought like, here's the director of Sinister. This is going to be great. Like really scary and dark, like Sinister was. Um, so it caught me by surprise, just like how, heartwarming it was how great the characters were and like how well these kids kind of played off each other and amazing performances uh so yeah i, I agree i mean th- this was a, a touching heartfelt movie that uh really like hit the mark and i thought it was like pretty well scripted and um a lot of the relationships like the, the kids that he's talking to like yeah we get very brief moments of them but it's enough to like kind of buy you into like uh, uh understanding them or like knowing them as, as children or like that that dynamic in terms of like how they talk to each other so uh, 
that was great to see some of those bonds forming uh, between him and the ghosts and helping each other out. The one, yeah, I think the weakness is kind of what you call it. Like, I, I didn't think it was scary or dark enough as much as I would have wanted it to be. And I, I don't think it would have killed it. It's like gone a little, a little darker. Like, uh, the grabber, we only see him really uh, in the basement. I would have loved to see like more of his like abductions or stalking of children, kind of like in, in Silence of the Lambs when we see like Buffalo Bill like on the hunt like once or twice. Uh, I, th- I thought that could have been cooler or, or like maybe a little bit more of the torturing of children, which sounds bad, but just, just something to more push it into like a little bit of a darker space uh, was kind of missing for me. Okay, yeah, I'm writing some of this down, so just go back. You wanted to see more of the torturing of children? Yeah, exactly. I got that correct? All right. Yeah. Uh, no, that's uh, I agree, yeah. and there were some there were some uh, similar sentiments on the Discord server. I do think it could have made the stakes feel higher if you had seen more of what happened when he apprehended the kids. Yeah. But I also kind of liked you just see, like, a kid riding his bike on a sunny day, and then you'd see the van around the corner, and then... Yeah the music would get ominous and we'd cut to something else. Like, yeah. it was a vibe on its own, you know? It was a distinct choice. Some yeah, people sure. on the server were even talking about how this could have been dialed back not too far to get a PG-13 rating. Yeah, yeah, right, right. This was rated R? I forgot to check. It was rated R, yeah. Okay. I do think you'd probably have to change more than you realize to get it to a PG-13, but I get what they mean. It's It's... It's gentle in many ways. Like, yeah, we we only see either the van coming. At the very worst, we see him pick up the kid and put him in the van in a cluster of balloons as he, like, sprays them with uh, some knockout gas or whatever. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it could have made things more tense to see the details there or just a, a little bit more of what went on. Even, like, what was he even doing to the kids? Like, I know we saw the dead bodies, and so obviously there's, like, some violence going on there, but we're not, like, I'm not 100% sure I understand what he was doing. Like, was it, like, knife action, or was it, like, uh, was there, like, was he using axes on them? Or, like, how how was he killing these kids? I think, yeah, he said he normally uses a knife. So I think he was beating them with the belt, he was using the knife, and, you know, John Wayne Gacy, he's only capturing little boys. There, There may have been some sort of, well, I shouldn't say, I mean, that makes it sound bad. <laughs> um, but I, I, sexual abuse when you're only capturing children is kind of assumed, you know? Okay. So you think it was assumed that he was a pedophile here, like those sexual abuse happening here? I think there was. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Blake said he found some reviews on Letterboxd that were calling the movie homophobic. So, I don't know if it's just the fact that he's only kidnapping boys and typically when people apprehend young children, there's some sort of sexual abuse involved as well. Um, I don't know. I I think that's reading a lot into it. And John Wayne Gacy, that was real and he he did only get boys. So if you're putting this in 1978 and you're making your uh, villain uh, kids, children's performer who only apprehends little boys, uh, it's, you know it's kind of obvious that Gacy's the influence. So got it. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't think that makes this inherently a homophobic movie. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, yeah you know, it's, it's cool. Cause like on one hand it's, it's great. They don't like spell that out and you can like imagine like what's happening where you have these historical figures to compare it to. Uh, on the other hand, like it would have been cool to see, but that's also going like pretty far. Like, I don't know. Uh, like if you had seen, what if you cut off a few of like Finney's fingers in the film? Like, do you think that would have done anything for you? Okay, I just 
<clears throat> want to make sure I get all my notes together. You want to see him cut off the child's fingers? Okay. Yeah, like, um, <laughs> you know, come out with like something, right? You know, I, guess, I don't know. I think that the tone, it, I wasn't expecting it to go for the tone it went for. And, you know, my wife, who was traumatized by those previews, I came home and I was like, it was a surprisingly feel good movie. <laughs> yeah, she I was know. like, what? <laughs> uh, I liked where it went with its tone. Its tone yeah. was very Stephen King, you know? Yeah, yeah. It was very Stephen King. Um, Granted, a kid gets his arm bit off in the beginning of it. Yeah. So see? <laughs> I, I hear what you're saying. Their appendage is there for a reason, you know, and you, you have multiple of them, so might as well, like, take a few just to drive a point home sometimes. Sure, sure. Just, just to prove some things. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, I, 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 that's the only element I miss, and I think if you're going for a horror, I get it, like, this This isn't, like, that type of movie, but, like, it could have been, and I think you still could have had, like, the, the, the feel-goodness of the end minus, like, a finger or two, basically. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think a lot of people would agree with you. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. But yeah. Otherwise, anything else you want to call? Like, I thought the sound design was really well done. What did you think? Yeah, the sound and the music was really cool. Uh, there was a cool sequence with a Pink Floyd song somewhere. Oh in there. yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, that was cool. Um, my only drawbacks or, or slight knocks on it were I. Th- wasn't sure I don't even know if this is a knock but I wasn't sure if I was totally on board with Jeremy Davies his performance as their dad it was just like a little wavery and varying a tiny bit it was still pretty good there were just certain elements where I like felt I couldn't wrap my head around it yeah do you mean Um, like the extreme like he goes from like being like this drunk uh person to like this kind of sensitive person towards the end or something I was more I was on board with the the back and forth of his character it was just like maybe the his voice or or his accent kind of like his affectations as that character i wasn't totally on board with oh okay Um, yeah sure so it's more like him embodying the character something about it was just a little maybe overboard to me it almost seemed like a caricature of that sort of character yeah i could see that um but as he got more serious i was actually more on board with him okay yeah yeah, me too. And then I yeah. could have seen a little bit less of the kids in the room with Finney as they were talking to him. Really? I didn't feel um, like we saw that too often. We only saw that like two or three times, right? I feel like eventually we saw all of them, if not or most of them, if not all of them. But yeah. I liked it when they only did it like once or twice and it was cre- real creepy every time. But there were certain moments where there were the kid was just like, sitting on the opposite side of the bed talking to him oh, or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right, um, right. Which, again, I'm fine with the supernatural elements not in like aiming for scares but it was just like okay if we're not aiming for scares like do we really need to see them in the room um that's a nitpick but other than that i i really enjoyed everything else about the film i thought technically it was really cool i I, the story had heart the characters were fleshed out and i think there's more you can read into the movie even if you think it's kind of a superficial popcorn movie and uh yeah yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Great, great watch. Nice to finally see a movie that uh, makes sense. I feel like the last two times in the theater, I've left like being like, "What the fuck happened?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the last two uh, releases from this year that we reviewed on the podcast were pretty heady. So it, it yeah. is kind of fun to see some of the straightforward <laughs> horror from this year. Some have been uh, some of my favorites. This and yeah X X this one yeah right yeah thank God for that uh, yeah I agree with you man so uh, yeah you want to jump to the rating then. 
Let's do it. All right. How many dead children would you give this one? I give this 4.5 out of 5 dead children. Ooh, wow. That's high. I really liked it. Okay. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. Man, I was, I was stuck between a three and a half and a four. Um, there, there was a disappointment about the scariness, but overall it was a really good movie. So I'm going to stick with four. I feel like it was, it was really good. Uh, but yeah, next time, cut off some fingers, bring out the scares a little bit more, get a little bloodier. Did you feel like you could appreciate Tom Savini's work outside of the mask in this one? I don't know that he did any other special effects makeup other than the masks. Okay. Um, and yeah, I don't know what special effects supervisor means. I don't know if they just gave that as a credit due to his work on the mask or if he really was kind of overseeing. Because he's done, I mean, special effects makeup and special effects are two different things, and he's got a history in both. So okay. he may have just been more overseeing, like, you know, uh, I don't even know if special effects in, encompasses, like, the stunt performer areas. Um, but he may have been overseeing more, like, you know, the grabber falling into the pit, stuff like that. So, Oh, I see. Okay. I, so I like, don't know, though. I'm just, I'm kind of winging that. I'm I'm not for sure on it. Got it. I mean, like, the only other effects I can think of, like, who's doing, like, the dead kids, like, just the, whatever the effects team was? Yeah, I mean, he, I don't think he did the makeup on those kids. I think that was other people. I didn't see his name in the makeup department. Got it. And, yeah, I don't feel like we saw enough to, like, be able to really be like, oh, that looks awesome or not. It was right. kind of from a distance, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty subtle. It didn't, none of it looked bad, but it was never like, oh my God, look at that gnarly. Yeah. It wasn't uh, that type of film. Yes. That right. Is that right. Everyone had their appendages, as you said. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Uh, and you didn't feel like you wanted to know more about the grabber or see him more? No, I, I'd like to read more into it myself. I, I like that he's a, a bit of a mysterious character and I like that you can take some parallels between him and Finney and, and. Mm-hmm. What happens when you're on the wrong side of the adversity that that you encountered as a child? You know right. what happens when it you let it tear you down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, it'd be interesting to check out the short story, see uh, how it differs. Yeah, cool. yeah. I'd like to read that one day. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, anything else? That's all I got. All right. That's gonna wrap up our discussion on the Black Phone. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's going to help other people find our show, and we always appreciate the feedback. If you want to join the discussion, you can find our social links on horrormovieclub.com or shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We're going to be announcing next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter in case you want to watch it before the next episode comes out. We now have a, we also have a Discord server where we're chatting up with a few other listeners and fellow horror fans, so you can find that link and join that community on our website. We're on Patreon, as Brian mentioned, where we have some great exclusive contents that uh, I'd highly recommend checking out, including the Hellraiser episode that Brian just put out, and we're putting out something more, I'm sure, in the next month or two. Our logo is by Amy Mae Popart. You can check her out on Etsy.com and find merchandise for our show, which is always fun to collect. And until next time, if you see a black van driving around the town with the words Abracadabra on it, and there happens to be a child kidnapper in the uh, in the area on the loose. Uh, it may be best to scratch your ideas for throwing a magic-themed birthday party for your kids and maybe think about a different theme like dinosaurs or dragons or something else that doesn't involve uh, a dude with a mask coming over to your house in a black van. <laughs> I hey, feel like we've kind of rethought that whole thing. 
Yeah. In the decades since the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> that only was around the 70s. Since then, we've moved away from Oh, man. That'd be so creepy to see that around. Uh, hey, don't you think... Um, uh, maybe Was that like what John, uh, John Gacy used to do? He was a clown at a hospital, and I think he performed at parties as well. Okay. Yeah, I just feel like uh, if that was happening in a small town, like, there'd be a curfew, kids wouldn't be allowed to be on their own, and everyone, like, would be really suspicious of, like, a black fan, but maybe in the 70s, it was too early for that to become a thing. Right? Yeah, and then you, nowadays you'd be like, all right, let's check out the local clowns, magicians, <laughs> exactly. anybody, anybody who up. dresses up and entertains kids. Yeah, probably. the usual suspects. Get them all in a room. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, the times have changed. Yeah. <laughs>